stage. I want to welcome all of you across our network. I want to greet our family in Bettendorf, the men at the Kiwani Center, those tuning in online, and all of you here at Rock Island. If you're a guest with us, or maybe you're coming back after some time away, I want you to know I'm thrilled that you're back. Thrilled that you're here. You picked a great weekend to be here because this is Easter weekend, and this is by far my favorite weekend of the year for a number of reasons. At the top of the list, though, is that what we're celebrating changes everything. It impacts all humanity. It bridges all space, all time, all nations, all peoples. And it is the greatest event in all of human history. Yet its impact is first felt in a conversation between two people in a garden. We've been having a conversation as a church family that we've been calling unexpected. And we've been looking at the last week of Jesus' life here on earth through the eyes of a few different people who had some unexpected experiences, but yet life-changing ones. And if you missed any of those, you can go to HeritageQC.com and under the media tab, see what we talked about. But today, we're going to look at one more person's encounter and perspective because it takes place on that first Easter morning. So this is Easter weekend. This is Easter Sunday. And, and Easter and, and Christmas kind of form the first two of three really important events in human history. Christmas is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Easter is when we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then the return of Jesus is something still to come. Christmas and Easter represent the two, first two of the three really significant events for all of humanity. In fact, it was a number of years ago around Christmas time that my wife Beth and I had an opportunity to go to a concert. It was a Michael Card concert. And I know I'm dating myself a little bit there, but Michael Card was a very successful singer, songwriter, theologian in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. He sold more than 4 million albums, had 19 number one hit singles, and wrote a bunch of books. And Beth and I were really excited to go to this concert. In fact, we bought tickets in the very first row, right down front. Never done that before, but we, we, did, we did that night. And then we got to that concert that night. We arrived a bit early, and Beth went to the restroom. And I was standing in the back, and I, I noticed a guy standing off to the side. And we kind of made eye contact, and we drifted towards each other, and we just started a conversation. We talked about where we were from, talked a bit about life, started kicking around some spiritual concepts. But then we talked about Michael Card and our expectation for the concert. But it was about that point that Beth came back into the room, and I saw her, so I turned to him and said, hey, there's my date. I shook his hand. I said, I hope you enjoy the, the concert tonight. He said, thanks. Same to you. And so I went off and met up with Beth. We went down to the front row, and we sat there. But 10 minutes later, when that concert started, I saw him again. <laughs> Only this time, he was on the platform <laughs> with a microphone singing. Now, it took me a moment to realize that this person was the opening act for Michael Card, and his name was Fernando Ortega. But I, he's another famous, successful singer-songwriter, but I totally missed it. And it was a little bit awkward when he looked at me, pointed, and winked. <laughs> I kind of felt dumb. But sometimes we don't recognize people when we should recognize them. I mean, have you ever had that, a moment where you enter a conversation with somebody, but you don't realize that they're a person of significance or, or even fame? When we recognize that reality, the dynamic changes. If we have an opportunity to interact with a person of significance and we don't recognize who they are, it feels like a missed opportunity. But the truth is, I know I'm not the only one who have ever done that. Many of us, if not all of us, have been in a space where we have not recognized someone we should have. And that's important for us today because the historic event that we're celebrating has this element of the ability and inability to recognize and the reason behind it, the why behind that, when we understand it, can radically change the way we relate to God. 
So let's just go ahead and dive in and get right to it. If you have a Bible today, I want to invite you to grab it and open up or click to John chapter 20. Fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in John chapter 20. If you do not have a Bible with you, that's okay. You came in today, hopefully received a sermon note guide. I encourage you to use that today as a helpful tool because many of the scriptures are in there. Plus, all of the scriptures will be up here on the screen. Now, we're picking up the storyline of Jesus at a point where he's been crucified, buried. The, the, the Sabbath day of rest has passed, and there's a group of women lugging a whole bunch of spices to the tomb to finish the burial process. But when they get there, the soldiers are gone, the tomb is open, and most significantly, the body of Jesus is missing. Now, one of those women named Mary, at that point, runs to the disciples and tells them what's happening. And, and, and Peter and John, two disciples of Jesus, run to the tomb. John gets there first, he stops and looks in, and Peter gets there second and runs right down inside the sepulcher. I mean, it's just who Peter was. But both of them are confused by what happened, and both of them then turn around and go home. But Mary didn't. She stayed. And she was devastated, but she wasn't alone. And this is where we're picking it up in John chapter 20 with verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So I want to be really clear that this Mary is not Mary the mother of Jesus. This is Mary Magdalene. And she's one of a half a dozen Marys mentioned in scripture. And her nickname Magdalene separates her and distinguishes her from some of the other Marys that we know. And and it's probable, we don't know for sure, probable that she got that name because she was from the town of Magdala, which was a fishing village in Galilee. But we don't really know for sure. And it, it's really not that important because what we don't want to lose sight of is the reality of what sets her apart most from everybody else is her devotion to Jesus. You see, Mary is mentioned about 12 times in the Gospels. The first time is in Luke chapter 8, where she's identified as being part of a group of women who are traveling with Jesus and his disciples, all of whom had been healed by Jesus. And Mary had been healed from demon possession. It's in Mark's account of that first Easter morning that he affirms this and identifies that Mary had seven demons that possessed her, and Jesus freed her of those. Now, some people purport that Mary was a prostitute, but none of the 12 references to Mary Magdalene contain that in Scripture or allude to some kind of sinful lifestyle. What we do absolutely know about Mary is that she was part of, of Jesus' followers from the very beginning of his ministry, and she was deeply devoted to him. And she's crying outside the tomb that day. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now, this is one of a few occasions where a human intersects with an angel and they're not stricken with fear. Most of the time, that's what happens. But in this case, I believe Mary was so focused on knowing the status of Jesus, she didn't care what they were angels. She just wanted to know what happened to her Jesus. And so here's what she says. They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. Now, so what she's done, she's laid out the problem, but before there can be any kind of response or exchange, at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was him. So she saw him, but didn't recognize him. And in that moment, Jesus said, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Now, thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Now, it's possible Mary was a large woman who was very strong, who could carry the dead body of an, of a, an adult male through the city streets pretty easily. But most likely, it was more the fact that she was consumed with sorrow, consumed with devotion, and she wasn't thinking through her plan let alone thinking how she would explain carrying a dead body through the streets. 
But before that can be an issue or a problem, this so-called gardener says one word. He simply says her name, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, this moment here has been preached in millions of sermons in every nation and tongue. It's been written about by theologians and scholars. But before all of that, this was simply a woman in a garden with her rabbi. One, a rabbi whom she worshipped and followed and knew like a brother. And when she recognizes him, everything changes. See, it's fascinating to me that God would choose to reveal the greatest event in all of human history to one person in a garden. Simply by mentioning their name. That intimate encounter, that, that recognition that when she heard him say her name, she recognized who he was. And that's really important. Because when we recognize who Jesus, recognize Jesus for who he is, when we recognize Jesus for who he is, that's your first feeling if you're tracking along in your note guide today. When we recognize Jesus for who he is as Messiah, as Lord, as King, as risen, our response to him changes. When we recognize Jesus for who he is, our response to him changes. When we recognize all that he is, how we respond, it's different. Let me illustrate this for you for a moment. TV show host Jimmy Fallon and actor Dwayne The Rock Johnson recently pulled a prank on patrons at Universal Studios when they were waiting in line to ride the Tonight Show ride, the Jimmy Fallon ride. What they did is they dressed in costumes of themselves. And then as people were waiting in line, getting their picture taken, they photobombed those people, which can be kind of funny. In fact, it was pretty funny. Let me just give you a 30-second clip to get a sense of what was happening in that space. Take a look. Stage at the Tonight Ride, people think they're about to take their picture taken on stage at the ride, but we're going to surprise them by photobombing them as uh, us, kind of as us, but as, but they don't know that it's yeah, but it's, it's us. us, it's us, it's, it's, it's kind of it's all four of us. Yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. Let's do this. Let's do it. Big smiles. Look right down this lens. Big, big, big smiles. Three, two, one. Man, that's pretty good. That's funny stuff. Hey, how many of you have ever photobombed somebody else? Bendorf, get your hands up too on this. How many? Come on. Yeah, it's fun to do. And they were doing it, and it was a, just a hilarious moment. But they would, they would photobomb, and then they'd take off their masks, and then people would see who they really were. But in the, in the last photobomb moment, something different happened. You see, they grabbed some hats to add into the gag. And, and when they went out into this moment, and they, and they photobombed the last couple, something very special happens. And I want you to pay attention as we step back into this moment to the man in the black shirt and the black shorts, because he's the key. Three, two, one. My man, my hero, since I was like five years old. Did we get the shot? Woo! What's up, dude? <laughs> Did we get the can we get a picture? No tears, no tears. I think we got it. Hi, honey. Nice to meet you. I think we got the photo, man. Tattoo? He's got a tattoo of you on him. Oh, my. Two, 
moment. It's touching. I mean, it was, it's unexpected in that moment. I mean, just think about it. Of all the thousands of people at Universal that day, the TV show producers chose Michael Nevin and his newlywed bride, Jessica, to be in that photobomb moment. And what was just a joke turned into an epic moment. See, most of the time when they would take off their masks, people would focus on Jimmy because they were, they were at his ride. They, They were primed to focus on him. But it was different for Michael. Michael, as he already said, had been a fan of The Rock since he was the age of five. And he had not just one tattoo, wait for it, three tattoos dedicated to The Rock. (laughs) And did you see his reaction? I mean, at first he's like, ah, somebody dresses my hero, that's cool, and he gives that handshake man hug moment. But then he realizes that it is The Rock, and he loses it. He drops back, he drops the hat, he doesn't know what to do. He starts moving forward, he starts moving back. He's looking and picking up his phone like he's going to take a picture, but he's not sure he should. He's reaching for his shirt to show another tattoo. I mean, he, he is just totally in that moment because he recognized him for who he was. And of all the people who could have been picked that day, Michael and Jessica were picked. And so this, this simple experience turns into a bucket list moment. Because we recognized him, the response was different. Look, when we recognize Jesus for who he is, our response changes. Now, the first time you heard of Jesus, the first time you heard of his love, heard of his sacrifice, his his grace, it may have been different than what you thought. Maybe the person God used to show that to you was flawed and therefore it was a little unclear. Maybe they represented him in a way that made it a bit more difficult to understand who he really is. But the reality is, when we recognize Jesus for who he is, everything changes. Our response changes. We trust him more. We give him more control. We obey him more. We we live in greater submission to him. We no longer live for ourselves. We no no longer live into our own expectations, but his. See, I made a decision for Jesus at a very young age. And, and, And that moment came when I understood that Jesus was simply the son of God. When, when, when I heard that he was the son of God, I'm like, hey, he's son of God, I'm in, I believe. That was, that was kind of the beginning of my journey. But, but my journey was a series of, 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 it was a progression of recognition. It started with knowing him as son. But then I began to understand sin and, and my rebellion and, and, the, and the thing that his, what he paid for and how he died on the cross, his sacrifice. And, and I began to understand I'm a savior, that I needed a savior to be rescued from my sin. Out of that, I wanted to serve him. I wanted to live for him. I understood he had authority in my life, and I began to understand him as king. But it wasn't until I began to understand the fullness of his love that I understood him as Lord, in part. I'm still understanding what it means for him to be Lord in my life. But this thing was a progression. But that lordship piece came when when he was no longer just the figurehead of the church or the God of my parents. He was my God. He saw me. He had a plan for me, and he loves me. Each of these Moments were different seasons where I responded to him differently as I began to recognize him for who he is. And recognizing him is not about head knowledge. It's not about believing he existed. It's about recognizing him as a savior and Lord, that he lived and died and rose again. See, Mary, Matthew describes Mary's response as worship in the garden. So there was joy, there was attention, affection, there was a commitment, and that commitment was demonstrated in obedience, and all of that for Mary came out of the fact that she recognized him for who he was. And when we recognize Jesus for who he is, our response changes. 
See, Michael meeting Dwayne Johnson is a reflection of a mere fraction of what I think it was like for Mary to encounter Jesus that day. To experience her risen Lord when she didn't expect to see him alive at all. In that space led her to respond differently as she began to understand who Jesus really was. And, and in that garden moment, see, Mary, Mary ends up laying a hold of, of, of Jesus, grabbing a hold of him. When she recognized him for who she was, when, 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 who he was, when, she, when he said her name, that intimate moment of recognition, and I think our faith should be marked by that. That intimate moment of recognition and love, that's when everything changed for her. And, and just like when Michael laid hold of grabbing the rock and shaking and crying, she grabbed a hold of Jesus and she wouldn't stop. Before we get into that, though, I think it's important to understand a bit more about who Mary was. Because Mary was present at a number of key events in Jesus' life. She was present at the crucifixion. Mark accounts it this way. He said this, Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. So after the temple, the temple curtain and veil was torn, after the centurion said, Surely he was the Son of God, Mark immediately says this, she was there. Mary was there at the crucifixion. She was there at the burial as well. And she was there that first morning after the resurrection. Her devotion was clear. Mark actually goes on to say in verse 41, In Galilee, these, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Did, did you catch this reality? Mary supported the ministry of Jesus. That's financially. The scholars are very clear in understanding that it was primarily financially, not primarily domestic. There was probably domestic support, but what he's saying here was financial. It's the same wording and terminology that Jesus used when he talked to the rich young ruler and said, you need to go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. But beyond all that is this crazy reality that, that Jesus chose a woman to be the first person to experience him after the resurrection and to be the one to tell about it. Because in this day, the courts didn't recognize women as reliable testimony, or witnesses. They couldn't testify. But, but Jesus did recognize the value of women and what they could do in his name. It, this is, in fact, that whole thing for me just is like one more proof that the resurrection's legit. Because if somebody was going to make that thing up, they would not have picked a woman to be the witness. They would have picked a man because the man would have been able to be an official witness about the event. But then again, Jesus is not bound by our expectations. In fact, God's purposes are not defined by our expectations. God's purposes are not defined by our expectations. We have a lot of expectations. We, we develop them as we go through life. And, and the reality is, he's not defined by them. In fact, our, our expectations do not become God's obligations. They, they, de they do not even serve as the source of his purposes. God's purpose is not defined by our expectations. Instead, our purpose should be defined by his expectation. Yet I realize that many of us, as we've gone through life, have maybe bumped into moments where God did the unexpected or didn't do what we thought he would. Maybe he healed, maybe he didn't. Maybe, maybe he stopped a tragedy, maybe he didn't. Maybe he allowed pain or loss. Some of those things can make it very difficult. and We can start to want to drift and walk away because we can't make sense of what God's doing, but don't do that even when you can't understand what's going on, because our expectations are not the same as his. His purposes are not defined by our expectations. You know, because our experiences are not always what we thought, 
we can get sideways. See, Michael, I don't think Michael expected to encounter the rock that day. I, I don't think that Mary expected to find an empty tomb or, or to, for the gardener that she encountered to be Jesus and the Jesus to be alive. But, but God's purposes are not defined by our expectations. And, and this moment that we've been looking at in John chapter 20 is an example of that. The value that Jesus imparts to Mary, the, the instructions he gives her, the gift of being first, none of that was expected. Yet Mary proved herself to be one of the most faithful followers of Jesus despite her own expectations about who Jesus would be and what he would do. And she was therefore then rewarded with being the first person to tell about the resurrection, to be the first messenger. Let's go back into John chapter 20 for a moment and see what happens next. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now what he's literally saying is stop holding on to me. He's not saying don't touch me and defile me. He's saying stop, I got, a, I got other business to do. And instead, you need to go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So after this moment of recognizing Jesus for who he is, Mary Magdalene becomes the first person to be sent. Sent to proclaim a living, breathing, risen Lord. It's totally unexpected. Yet just as Jesus does the unexpected in his life, he wants to do the unexpected in ours. In fact, God wants to do the unexpected in your life. He wants to do the unexpected in your life today. He wants to heal. He wants to restore. He wants to set you free. He wants to do the unexpected in your life. Mary never expected to see the empty tomb. I don't think she expected to encounter angels, and she certainly didn't expect to find Jesus alive. And she didn't expect, I don't think, to see Jesus first or to be the first person to tell about him because there are very clear cultural realities, social dynamics that position women in lesser roles. But again, Jesus Jesus is not bound by our expectations. And in that moment when he empowers her to be that person, it reflects this reality. Just as in Mary's life, God wants to do the unexpected in yours. If you will recognize Jesus for who he is and receive him. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants to free you. You know, perhaps one of the most unexpected aspects of Easter is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and me. That that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and to me. It's crazy. It's freely given. But there's a prerequisite to it. Here's how the missionary and church planter Paul talked about it. He said, I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. That's the prerequisite, to believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This reality right here is what makes Easter so stinking awesome. That the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us, but the reality is we have a component of we need to recognize who he is to be able to receive him and to receive that power. He wants to do the unexpected in your life. We serve a God who wants to be known. God wants to, just using that same power that raised Jesus' life, raised Jesus back to life, he wants to use that same power to, to raise your life, to restore it. To empower you, to free you, to make you whole. Yet we have to receive him. 
to recognize him for who he is, just like Mary, know who he is and recognize him for all that he is. So, so my question becomes, do you know him? See, Mary was looking for Jesus that day. And I realize some of you here today are looking for hope. You're looking for healing. You're looking for forgiveness. You're looking for freedom, freedom from a habit or freedom from regret or shame. Mary knew Jesus that way as healer, restorer, chain breaker. He set her free from seven demons. He wants to do a very similar work in you today if you will recognize him for who he is. All the things that happened in Mary's life when Jesus did that, that changed the way she lived, but it was all out of relationship, not knowledge. It wasn't just about knowledge, it was about relationship. And if we want to experience that same freedom and restoration and hope, it will require a relationship by recognizing Jesus for who he is. So do you know him? I want to invite you to sit back for a moment and just listen in to a description of Jesus by a pastor by the name of Dr. Lockridge. Just sit back and enjoy these next few moments. The Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of 
Man, I get goosebumps every time I hear that. Because that's who Jesus is. Healer, restorer, chain breaker. Mary recognized him for who he was, and she responded appropriately. How are you going to respond to him today? You know, most people give little to no response to Jesus because they don't recognize him for who he is. Yet he's the hero of this story. He's the hero, but you're the point. We're the point. He's not mad at us. He loves us. He loves you. He has proven that once and for all on the cross. And if you're waiting to recognize him in some other format, you're missing who he is. Your expectation's off. Maybe the best question we can be asking ourselves is what if we could let go of our own expectations and lay hold of God's? What if we could let, hold, let go of our own expectations and lay hold of his? What if we could get ahead of our expectations and pull them back and get behind his? Where then God can do something miraculous in our life, something unexplainable, something where he gets credit and gets the glory. But we have to recognize him for who he is. And when we do, man, we are no longer defined by the worst part of our lives, but the best part of his. But we have to recognize him. We have to receive him. We have to believe in him. The primary way that we let go of our own expectations and lay hold of God's is to receive his son as Savior. To recognize him as Savior, receive him as Lord. And that starts in a simple conversation. It's just a prayer. And if you never had that conversation, you never prayed that prayer, I want to invite you in a moment to pray that prayer with me. Where you recognize Jesus as Savior and you respond to him as Lord. There are a couple of instructions in your note guide. And the prayer that will be on the screen is available in that space as well for you in the note guide. But I want to invite you to let this Easter be the Easter that you are reconciled to God in relationship to him. You recognize Jesus for who he is and you respond differently. Maybe for some of you, you, you prayed a prayer like that at some point before, but you, because you didn't understand or God did something he unexpected or you didn't really care for, you've wandered a bit and maybe you went home like the disciples. And so this prayer is really an opportunity to reaffirm that commitment you once made. But I want to invite people here at Rock Island, across our Bettendorf campus, online, and even at Kiwani. If you've not prayed this prayer, you need to reaffirm that commitment today to join me praying this prayer silently as I read it aloud. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today I recognize you as Savior, and I choose to respond to you as my risen Lord. Help me to live expectantly for you, even in the unexpected. In your name, amen. Oh man, if you prayed that prayer, there is a literal party in heaven because you did. It's an amazing moment. I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm thrilled that you took this, the opportunity to recognize Jesus as Savior and to receive him as Lord. Because here's the coolest thing about what you just did. That spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now in you. Here's how I know that. Romans 8:11 says this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. When you recognize him and receive him as Savior and Lord, it lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living in you. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. This is why Easter rocks. Because that power is available through Jesus. And if you prayed that prayer, I celebrate it. And here's what I want to, I want to give you a caution. When, you, when we make an internal decision and we don't move it to external action, we're more positioned to, let, to drift away from that decision. So I want to challenge you to step into an external action. We make that internal decision and we have an external action connected to it. It solidifies it. And I want to invite you to grab a hold of your worship folder. And just on the inside of that worship folder is a connections card. I just want everybody to grab it and everybody just rip that off. Everybody just tear off that connections card. Bettendorf, you guys do it too. Rip that off. I invite everybody to fill this out. 
But if you prayed that prayer with me for the first time or as a recommitment, I want you to mark that on the blue side. Mark that down there. Declare it. Move from the internal decision to an external action. Solidify it. Let us know because we want to celebrate with you and we want to walk with you in this journey. You do not have to walk this alone. There are all kinds of things to learn and understand about what it means to live in the freedom that Jesus gives us, to live in the power that he extends to us, to live in the love that he has for us because he does love you. And next week, we're going to begin the conversation around how we live in that freedom, how we live in that love, and we follow a Lord who has come, who rose, and is coming again. So once you fill that out, if you don't have one of those folders, you know, on the bottom of your sermon note, God, is a spot you can say, today I recognized and I received and I responded. Fill out that information. Put the contact information. If you don't have either one of these things, grab any piece of paper anywhere or find somebody with a lanyard and have the conversation. But once you fill that out, when the offering bucket passes by in a few moments, I want you to drop it in there and declare it. Declare it. Move from the internal decision to an external action. Solidify it. And then join in the celebration. We serve a God who came, who rose, and he's coming back again. So would you join me in prayer as we step back towards worship in song? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that, it is, that through Jesus we have life and life to the full. Father, I thank you that in a very complex world where things expected and unexpected happen, where we recognize things we should and, and fail to recognize things, other things that we should, that, that complexity, Lord, I thank you that you are filled with patience and grace and love towards us. And I thank you that through Jesus we can have life. And I thank you for those who prayed that prayer today. Lord, I pray that they would feel your love and your pleasure and your affection even now. Whether it's for the first time they made that decision or whether they've done it again, Lord, may, may your love wash over them and may they sense your presence. They sense your favor, even the complexities of life, the difficult things that still remain before us, Lord. May we look to you and may we, may we really let go of our expectations and lay hold of yours. May we seek your purpose, your purpose defined by your expectations. So Lord, I love you. I thank you for the privilege we have of celebrating the birth, the birth and resurrection and death of your son and the fact that that means he's coming back. So as we continue to worship, Lord, may you continue to lead and be glorified in all of it. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.